all roads lead to Rome. It's a bit of a tongue twister, actually, as I say that. All roads lead to Rome. That's the saying, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever heard it or used it. Um, it seems to be used in a couple of different sentences. It may be used, uh, things are only headed in one direction. All roads lead to Rome. Things were always headed in one direction. Or there's lots of different ways to get to the same point. All roads lead to Rome. Caesar Augustus put up a monument in the centre of Rome called the Miliarium Aureum, which literally translates as the Golden Milestone. Many people believe that it was from that monument that everywhere was measured out how far things were from that point. Um, why? Why measure from a single point at the centre of Rome? Well, because in the ancient world, Rome was the epicentre. And so it's thought that's where the saying comes from. All roads lead to Rome. And so it is in the book of Acts. All roads lead to Rome. The second half of the book, our big second chunk that we spent as a church, things have only been heading in one direction for some time now. And it's precisely because Rome is the epicentre of the Gentile world. Remember Luke, our author, he pulls together two accounts, two volumes, Luke and Acts, and they're carefully ordered accounts of actual historical events. And we see a similar pattern. Just as in Luke, there comes a point in the narrative where it's clear that Jesus sets out to go to Jerusalem so we'd see what he'd come to achieve in Jerusalem as he dies on the cross and rises again. Now we see in his second part, Acts, all roads lead to Rome. Because Paul's commission as an apostle was to reach the Gentiles. And so here we are at the climax. It feels like, maybe it's felt quick to you, but it feels like it's taken some time for us to get here, doesn't it? Acts chapter 28, we're finally there, last chapter of the book and here we are in Rome. It's a big deal for Paul. Paul said earlier, he eagerly desired to go to Rome. This is, this is a big step. And so what does Paul do? Well, it will really help if you do keep uh, Acts chapter 28 open. We'll have our noses in it for most of the time. Now, remember, Paul hasn't come in a blazing fanfare of a victory parade for the gospel. Do you remember how he's arrived? He comes as a prisoner. We saw probably one of my favourite short exchanges in the book of Acts in chapter 26. Maybe you could just flick back there as I read verse 25. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true, and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then verse 29, Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. 
That's gracious of Paul. But that's where he is, in chains, for speaking about Jesus. And so look at verse 16 as we join uh, chapter 28. When Paul arrives in Rome, he's placed under house arrest. Just read verse 16 along with me. When we, get, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. He's chained, uh, we think, to a member of the Praetorian Guard, The Praetorians were like the military elite, given double pay, um, special privileges. They were um, allowed to retire five years early. They were the big dogs of the military. Paul comes with a reputation so high that, well, like a prolific criminal, he's wanted to be looked after, watched over. And so we're going to see what Paul does. And here's the headline from the start as we look at Acts chapter 28. In some ways, as we read those few verses, it's kind of the least exciting, least remarkable, least definitive ending to a a really quite spectacular book so far. Because what we see in these verses is pretty familiar. Paul goes first to the Jews then to the Gentiles, but ultimately he remains waiting for his trial. That's what we see as the book closes, and maybe that's not, not a brilliant end to the book for us. Maybe we'd like to have seen more of what happened to Paul. But let's look first at Paul going to the Jews. Have a look at verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. Remember, there he is under house arrest. Um, At the beginning of lockdown, um, I was preaching from the shed in our back garden. Um, With a background, I was told of what looked like a cardboard box. I was told by some of you who um, messaged me to ask if I was being held captive. Um, I trust that was all in jest, but I did quickly paint the walls in my shed. Um, That's exactly what I was doing, though, speaking from home. I was just at home in the shed. But that's exactly what's happening with Paul. Of course, they had to come to him. The Jews were his guests at his house as he preached because he couldn't travel. But they obliged. They came to listen, probably out of interest, to see what was going on. And what we see is Paul launches something of a a preemptive defence. I've done nothing against our ancestors. But I didn't intend to bring any charge against my people. Just in case the people had heard something of him already. Paul was first arrested over two years ago. So word would undoubtedly have spread through the ancient world. He's desperate to make clear he hasn't done anything wrong. Have a look at verse 18. My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. You see what Paul's doing? He's kind of assuming that the Jews 
that had tried to get him prosecuted where he was before, they've passed on the message about him. After all, news of controversy spreads fast, doesn't it? My sister and I went to the same school. She was a few years ahead of me. And for a couple of years, she was in the same tutor group as me. I don't know how tutor groups or form groups work these days. But at that point, what we had was a couple of people from each year spread throughout the school. I think it was meant to make you feel settled, kind of part of the school fabric and DNA, knowing people from other years. Inevitably, what happened was at 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the afternoon, during registration time, everyone just sat in their four or fives of each class, of each year, sorry, and didn't talk to each other at all. However, there was one exception. When there was some controversy, when there was controversy in the school, suddenly the barriers came down and throughout the classroom of the tutor group, the form group, there was chat all over the place. Now, that didn't always work in my favour when my sister was in my same form group. Um, Occasionally, very occasionally, I was uh, involved in the controversy and so my sister heard all about what I was involved in. Now, that was a nightmare for me, as you can imagine. But what would happen is it would get to the end of the school day and I'd be on my bike, literally, my diamond back, get back home as quick as I possibly could, rush home to my parents and make sure I was the first person to speak to my mum. Why? Because I was desperate to tell this whole story, or tell my story. (laughs) I was desperate to tell the whole story. Tell it as it was, not... A, a second hand, third hand what my sister had overheard in form time I was desperate to tell the story I'd rush home and just on the off chance that my mum had spoken to my sister already oh mum, you might have heard from my sister, you might have heard the worst already, you might have heard this let me just tell you as it was let me just tell you the truth, let me just explain If you've heard anything already, just ignore what you've heard, please. And Paul, he wants to tackle the issue head on. He wants to be the first to talk about the issue at hand. I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing outrageous. I've done nothing shameful against our people. I was examined and found not guilty. But the Jews in Jerusalem, they objected. I didn't want to bring disrepute. I want to talk to you. Let me explain. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with the chain. See, Paul, he goes full throttle. He wants to meet the issue head on because he wants the Jews in Rome to have the chance to talk about the issue, to respond to the gospel, to have no predetermined decision in their mind. Have a look at verse 21. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. And you notice what's interesting about their response? They've not received letters, they've not received messages, they've not received anything directly, but they do want to hear what Paul has to say. Because everyone is talking about this sect. And in just one word, we get a picture as to what the Jews are thinking. This sect. 
They were naturally resistant to this message. They were cautious at best, sect. They were not inclined to listen to Paul. They've gone wayward, away from Jewish culture. It's a sect. By this point, that must have been what Paul had come to expect, right? As he's gone into the Jewish synagogues in many places and met with resistance, he'd gone from city to city being chased away and all sorts without fail a pretty mixed response from the Jews. But Paul, he goes for it anyway, doesn't he? Head on. Have a look at verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Wow, from morning till evening, Paul at home reasoning with a great crowd. He reasons to them from the Old Testament what they would have been familiar with and trusted, that Jesus himself is the hope of Israel, the Messiah that had come. From the chains of his house arrest, chained to his praetorian guard, he reasons with a God-fearing crowd. Religious, they would have been. But he's reasoning, do you see what is at the heart of his reasoning? He wanted to persuade them about Jesus. But look at verse 24. The reaction is mixed. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves. And Luke's commentary on what happens as as Paul um, goes to different places is pretty consistent throughout the book of Acts. It's consistent that we see as crowds are addressed, there's often resistance. And actually, there's no neutral response to the gospel. In fact, the assumed position is that people are unbelieving. Do you see that in the sentence in verse 24? People became convinced. Their mind was changed toward the gospel, but others remained as they were. So obviously there's disagreement there. But look at Paul. Paul's not surprised. Look at verse 25. Paul had made this statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Maybe you recognise those words from Isaiah 6 then as Greg prayed through them earlier. As we looked at Isaiah last year, that's Isaiah's commission to preach to the people of Israel. Just after he had that encounter with God, he was so aware of God's holiness, in complete awe at that moment, he looked down and he saw his own sin. And yet his eyes remained on God. He wanted to go and preach, and that was his call. He's seen God's holiness, he's recognised his sin, and then he's called to go, and not the most exciting commission, to go to a people that wouldn't listen, hear, or see. 
And look, here's the thing. Even at Rome, that's where we are, right? Acts 28, we're at the end of the book. We're at Rome, the climax, the pinnacle, the, the place where we've been trying to get to, the epicenter of the Gentiles. This is where we're at. This should be really exciting. This is it. Acts 28. The climax of the unstoppable gospel spreading and yet... It's just a bit underwhelming, isn't it? It's disheartening as you read those words. People have calloused hearts, deaf ears, blind ears, blind eyes. You see, whilst the good news about Jesus has spread rapidly through the book of Acts, this has still remained true. People, there are people that don't want to know. Paul's proved right. The persecution that he faces has remained and it's unjust. It's because of the hope of Israel that he's in chains, he says. The hope that God would send to his people a Messiah, the Lord Jesus, who conquers death for his people. That's been Paul's message consistently through Acts. It's not because he's done anything to deserve this, but because the world, it doesn't like the message. And so we must know, as we read this end of the book, we must know as we see Paul proclaim the gospel, that the good news about Jesus, while it's reasonable and true, whilst it's good news to save lost people, there will always be people who remain unconvinced. There will always be people who remain opposed to it. How should that actually inform the way that we live? Should that just be disheartening for us? As we maybe even think about our friends, family, people that we love? Well, have a look at Paul. Look at verse 17. He continues to go to the Jews First, even though he knows the probability is that they'll reject the gospel. We've seen that pattern time and time again, but he goes. Verse 23, he's persistent. Morning till night, he reasons. He seeks to set forward the truth about Jesus. And it, it is in verse 23, Jesus, at the heart of what he's trying to talk about. But look at verse 25. He's unsurprised. He's robust. He's undeterred. When it comes to people rejecting the good news about Jesus, Paul is undeterred. And we can be the same. We can be persistent. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep sharing with those people that you love, that you walk alongside that you care deeply for, that haven't yet trusted Jesus. Be Christ-focused in your attempts, like Paul, as he reasons with the Jews from morning till night, would you seek to hold out the good news about Jesus? And at the same time, be unsurprised. Be robust, be undeterred. When someone thinks it sounds a bit weird, when someone thinks or says, oh, not that again. Or is it really that important? Oh, going to church again? Be unsurprised, undeterred. Well, what does Paul do next? Have a look down at verse 28. 
Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Undeterred, Paul goes to the Gentiles because he knows they'll listen. Or more more accurately in this sense, they came to him, to his door, as he was under house arrest. And we assume that many come to trust in Jesus as he goes boldly without hindrance. (laughs) But that's it. That is it. That's the end of the book of Acts. That's the end of the story. And that's the end of Acts. And that might seem pretty underwhelming to us. There's so many, seemingly no big finish, no fanfare, nothing outside of the kind of regular pattern of what's been happening. The Jews bring a, a mixed reaction. The Gentiles bring a slightly more positive one. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. That's been Paul's ministry. They must hear Jesus is their Messiah. The fact that the gospel has come to them and now to us. That is remarkable. And you see, while it seems like it peters out as a book, it is remarkable that we read today and it doesn't just peter out because the gospel message has made it this far. It's a remarkable act of God's free grace that us, not Jews, Gentiles, have this gift of grace it's the same saving God but as we read that's it for Paul imprisoned in his own rented house with the harshest call to ministry from Isaiah 6 people won't listen, people won't hear, people won't understand what happens next we don't know we don't know what happens next to Paul that's it from Acts because Luke as he records the book of Acts, his editorial piece in Luke, Jesus, Jerusalem, here in the book of Acts, in the second half, Paul to Rome, it ties up two books in a kind of parallel. We get here, and this is it. The focus of the story is not the people. It's not, while it's called the Acts of the Apostles, there's only really two that are in view, one named Peter, one named Paul. The other apostles were kind of going out with the gospel to different places, Central Asia, Western Europe, but it's not recorded, presumably, because that's not within Luke's remit as he seeks to edit the book. The focus for Luke is the journey of the gospel to the heart of the Jewish world and the heart of the Gentile world. So here at the end of Acts, maybe it seems like an abrupt ending to us, and we kind of read it and we go, okay, end of the book of Acts, great, let's move on. We're in Matthew next week. Maybe you wonder what happened to Paul. But you see, as we read these verses, that's just the point. It's not a book about Paul or Peter. It's a book about the spread of the gospel, the unstoppable gospel in a particular place, in a particular time, within a particular remit. And so, of course, the the gospel charge in Acts 1 verse 8 that we saw to go to the end of the world is unfinished business. Because whilst it's made it to the heart of the Gentile world, 
it's not yet made it to every street in Vista. And so that's probably helpful for us as we get to the end of the book. And for us at Town Church, we read Acts and at times it's been pretty extraordinary, the things that have happened. Often, though, the things that have been said, the events have been unremarkable. And when we get to the end of the book, certainly it's unremarkable. For two years, Paul sits at home and talks about Jesus to anyone that would listen. That's it. Pretty unremarkable ending to the book. And maybe that's just why it can be so encouraging to us. What's in focus in the book of Acts is not a set of remarkable people doing remarkable things. What's in focus in the book of Acts is the unstoppable gospel carried by often unremarkable people, shared at often unremarkable events, taken in the power of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And so, while Luke's pretty tight in his remit and abrupt in his finish, it doesn't stop there for us. The charge for us is to come to this Jesus, believe in him, and take his message to the ends of the earth. So first, this message is for you. God in his grace has opened up this message beyond the Jewish people to us so that we can sit here thousands of years later and respond to the person of Jesus. The good news of Jesus, it is great news for us today. Did you see the warning even there in Isaiah 6? Don't have a calloused heart. You know what calluses are, right? When you do the same thing over and over again. In, like you get calluses in your hand if you go to the gym or you dig in the garden. A callus where it, it builds a resistance to something. Don't be so familiar with the gospel. Harden yourself to it that there's resistance in your heart. It numbs you from something preventing it having impact. Don't let that be your heart to the gospel. Don't forget that the hope of Israel, the, the very thing that Paul is in prison for, is the good news for us. The Messiah has come for you. Cling to him, the Lord Jesus, the only way to be saved. And if you do, if that is you, here's the call for us at Town Church. Will we go? Will we go with all boldness, without hindrance like Paul? to proclaim the kingdom of God to the people of Bicester and beyond? Will we, as pretty unremarkable people, in, I'm sure, mostly pretty unremarkable events, be persistent in the power of the Holy Spirit, going to the people who need to hear the good news about Jesus? I wonder, where are you regularly, consistently, spending time with those people? People that you'd love to share that good news that you came to trust yourself. Will you? Will you hold out that good gospel message and recognise without being deterred that people will reject it at times but graciously the, the Lord will save lost people for himself? 
Because this is the end of the book of Acts, right? This is it. This is us for our series. But it's not the end of the gospel, the unstoppable gospel, going out to people who so desperately need to hear it. People like me, people like you, people that we care so deeply about. Let me pray. Father, we so desperately need this gospel message. We so desperately rely on the hope of Israel, the Messiah who came to save us. And so we desperately want our friends, our family, our neighbours to trust in this good news as well. Please would you help us in going out, in taking this good news to all people. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing, sing of this good news that saves lost people that we're in great need of. So let's sing together.